Smashing the Plateau. I'm David Schreiner Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. Mine was a very unintentional journey. Would I have done this otherwise? I don't know. Am I thrilled to have my own business? I'm happier than I've ever, ever been. Today on episode 29 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Lori Ames. Lori needed to stop full-time employment due to a family medical crisis. She had to launch a business that fit very specific lifestyle requirements. In this episode, Lori shares the strategies she used to get her business to work for her. If you're trying to build your own business after a late career job loss, and you want your business to work for you, making more money faster with fewer mistakes along the way, Sign up for a complimentary Going Solo action planning session now. Go to goingsoloplan.com. That's goingsoloplan.com. Now, let's welcome Lori Ames. Lori has been involved in book publishing and book publicity since the early 80s. After receiving her degree from Hofstra University, Lori began her publicity career at a boutique book publicity agency in New York City. Lori, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, David. Lori, you became an entrepreneur in the latter part of your career. What prompted you to become an entrepreneur? Well, in this day and age, let's say maybe it was the middle of my career. But what happened is in October 2010, my son right after his 22nd birthday, was diagnosed with an inoperable malignant brain tumor. And I had been commuting from Long Island to New York City. And once he was diagnosed and in the hospital, we were in the hospital for months. Um, I actually started my business from his hospital room. We went through all the treatments. And by May 2011, he was doing well enough where I rented office space and took the business that had started on a chair in an ICU room and then moved to my home to an office space. Well, um, I'm glad to hear that things turned around health-wise for your son. And it's now 2020. So you've been in business for, I guess, about 10 years? 10 years. Yeah. So congratulations on that score as well. You certainly beat the odds. You know, most businesses, as we know, don't make it to the end of the first year. So um, so congratulations on, on both fronts. Thank you so very much. It's been an interesting personal journey and an interesting business journey, that's for sure. And when you first started your business, I'm gathering from what you said that there were issues about how you used your time and how much of your time you had available to work, that, that, that those were sort of the main considerations. Well, I decided to start my business at the beginning of his diagnosis because I was trying to create a semblance of normalcy for us, and that meant that I would be working, but obviously I couldn't leave the hospital. So I went on LinkedIn, and I connected with everybody I could think of because I could use my iPad in the, hosp- in the hospital. I just couldn't use my cell phone and let people know what was going on, let them know that I didn't know if I'd be able to return to my job in the city, and that I would notify them when I knew what was what the future was going to hold. My son had quite a few surgeries. He had chemo, he had radiation, but in between the surgeries and the chemo, we were in the hospital for about a month, and 
what was interesting is that they are very accommodating to parents when you're treated as a pediatric patient. So he had a very large room. There was a place for me to sit. They brought in a table. I set up my iPad. It's like I had a little office right in the hospital with the encouragement of, of the whole staff there. So I only had a couple of clients to start with because my time was limited because we had so many doctor's appointments and such. But with mobile phones and an iPad and, and all the electronics that are available, it was not as complicated as you think to get things done. And when he was on chemo, we would be in a chemo suite for hours and he'd be sleeping and I would be able to keep an eye on him and work simultaneously. And at that time, it was really only maybe two or three clients. And it, it grew from there. And Lori, when you first contacted folks to say that your son was ill and that you didn't know if or when you would be going back to work the way you had been in New York City, which was a, a job, were you specifically looking for freelance work or self-employment or starting a business? At that point, I didn't know what I was doing. I just wanted people to know that I was going through a change where they could reach me, which would be via LinkedIn or via an email address that was not the one they were used to using. And as I would sit there day after day, I thought about it and I'm like, you know, being freelance is being freelance. Maybe I should try this. And also not working really wasn't an option. There's lots and lots and lots of medical expenses that are not covered when you have a situation like that. So I was, you know, tapping my savings and tapping my retirement to cover the things that weren't covered by medical insurance. And I'd always worked. I've been working since I'm a kid. So just made sense to figure out how to make money. So after, you know, the first month, I was able to let people know that I was thinking about starting my own business. That was the update. I was thinking about doing it. And people started reaching out to me saying, well, do you think you could do this project? Do you think you're going to have bandwidth for this? They just came to me. My reputation was very good in the industry and people wanted to help by giving me jobs that would create income. And at the same time, you were letting people know what you wanted. Yes. And I, I don't know if I did it consciously. It was just a, a natural response. I mean, yeah. at that point, I didn't tell people, you know, basically all I did was say my son had brain cancer. People just were freaking out. So everybody wanted to help in their own way. And business connections help by coming up with business ways to help, which was to, to give me work. Right. Now, do you think, I know this wasn't your situation, but do you think that people would have responded with a request for help any differently if your desire or your need to have some paid projects was because of just a work situation where you wanted to start something on your own as opposed to being an employee without having a, me a family medical crisis? I think that I still would have gotten the same type of business, but it would have come without the emotional attachment. I think people were emotionally attached to the situation and perhaps that helped. These were people that I believe in the end, if I had said I was not going to work in the city anymore and I was going to stay on Long Island and I was starting my own business, I would say probably 75% of the business still would have come through. Yeah, that's a really important point because 
I've had discussions with lots of folks, both on this show and off the show, about that initial phase of the transition where I've had a number of people say to me, well, particularly if, if the transition was triggered by the loss of a job, they say, well, I, I was too ashamed or I didn't know exactly what I was looking for or I was really reluctant to reach out to people in my network. And I have heard a big difference in the outcome for those folks versus those who, like you, were proactive in reaching out to those that were closest to them, that those that knew their work, that were part of their network, whether or not they personally were in a position to engage you for your services or not, they at least could keep their eye out for potential referrals. And you know what? I think that the stigma of losing a job is much different now than it was maybe 20 years ago. Because, I mean, look at Silicon Valley. The more you fail, the more successful you become. So they wear failure as a badge of honor. I don't think anybody should should feel bad if they lose their job, unless they've done something awful, to, to let people know. So with that in mind, Laurie, as you started to spend more and more time in your new business, what didn't work so well for you? The hardest part, I don't know if anything didn't work so well. I, I mean, I had to upgrade technologies. I had to do things I hadn't done before. Um, one of the biggest things was, I mean, I do book publicity. So I had to have a place to receive books and send books out. And I couldn't do that from my home. It was just impossible. And I have cats and a dog and cats send emails. They order groceries, dogs bark. So I had to find an office space that was close enough to my home where I didn't have a large commute or long commute because my son had to be with me. I still had to be with my son 24-7, even though he was out of the hospital. So there was still this recuperation period and such. So trying to figure out how to get office space and where to get office space created a little bit of um, anxiety for me. At first, I thought I was going to try and transform something at home, but it, it just wasn't feasible. And then one day, my husband said, why don't you look on Craigslist? So I looked on Craigslist, and it turned out there was office space available within a half a mile of my home, but they didn't put the, the street address down. They just put the street down. So I printed out a picture of what the window looked like, and I gave it to my husband and made him walk up and down the block until he found the building that it was in. And that's how I found my first office. And, you know, then there's the whole part of, do you create stationery? Do you do business cards? How do you afford it all? And, you know, money was tight because of medical expenses, but I still had enough money to be able to pay the, pay the first couple of months rent and the security. And it fell together for me. The scariest part came when it came time to hire an employee. Yeah, talk to me about that. That being responsible for having to pay somebody every week and being responsible for somebody's livelihood was one of the most anxiety-producing parts of a new business. I mean, I started my business. It was me. I was in the hospital. I didn't, you know, with him, I didn't know what was going to go on. Then I was doing it from home. Very nice. But when you rent an office, it just felt different. Everything felt different. 
I hired my first employee was an intern in May 2011, which is just when Rob finished all his treatments. And she ended up staying with me for six years. She graduated college, she stayed, she worked, she learned, and had to pay her more every year and such. But the business grew, and I learned how to prospect, and I I learned how to negotiate. And I'm still learning those things because the world changes. So now you prospect using online catalogs. LinkedIn is very, very important to my business. and making sure the work gets done. As a small business, the the business owner oversees all the work, has to make sure the work gets done, and has to always be looking for new business. So sometimes it's a little overwhelming, but we get it all done. What helped you or still helps you overcome some of these moments of anxiety when you're doing something new and it's um, it seems overwhelming and the responsibility seems daunting? I, my best friend has been my best friend since I'm 10 years old. And so that means we've been best friends for a really, really long time. And she is like my accountability partner. I talk to her every morning on her way to work. She calls me at 6.55 every morning. We talk for a half hour. What's on my agenda? What's on her agenda? What hiccups do we see? What's going on? And then we have sort of a debrief every night where we do, you know, talk about families, talk about our days, talk about what we see as the speed bumps, and we figure it out. And I have a couple of other small business owners who are local, who I talk to a lot about their businesses, which are different, but how they approach certain problems. And then they ask me the same questions, because it's it's interesting to get a group. So between my best friend and two other small business owners who I talk to on a regular basis, they help relieve my anxiety and their opinions give me a a wide range of of choices to make. And it's easier than just being in very insular and trying to sort it out all by myself. Are there any things that had you known about them or known the answers to certain questions, you think you're... Achievement of certain milestones might have happened more quickly? Hmm. I don't know. Most the things that, that give me the biggest anxiety are, you know, when I've had to fire an employee or when, you know, the, the cash flow is tight because people who paid in 15 days then pay in 30 or pay in 45 and, and the juggling of that. So I think those things would have happened with or without a a brain trust. And some of it, you just have to go with your gut. Yeah. And Lori, what's your business like now? Who's your ideal client? My ideal client is a nonfiction business author who is still working and who wants to build their brand and increase their client base. Because book publicity has changed a lot. It's, It's not always about selling books. It's about using your book as a business card or a platform builder to whatever your next step is. And for business book authors, there's a lot of opportunity for bulk sales at conferences and at speaking. So my a majority of my clients are business book publishers or business book authors. We do other types of books also, but 
99% of what we do is nonfiction. So it can be health, can be business. It can be a little quirky. Um, we don't do politics and we don't do religion. And are the authors, first-time authors, um, have they published before? It's a mix. We have, I'd say, 50% of our clients are publishers and 50% of our clients are individual authors, some published by traditional publishers and some self-published. We have CEOs. We have new entrepreneurs. If the book has a solid message and it's written well and the author is using the book to grow their business, it's a perfect client for us. If it's a CEO who is writing a memoir or a leadership book with lessons that they've learned, you know, those are all good clients. If it's somebody who's writing a book about, I've turned down these more relation, relationship-oriented books that have nothing to do with business where men and women are writing about their personal life and offering advice, but they're not credentialed as a psychologist, those don't work for me. I need credentialed or very well-established authors because we're going after very high-end media and they expect a certain quality from us. What are some of the things that an author needs to think about when it comes to doing a better job building the platform? Well, if they're self-publishing a book, they shouldn't spend all their money publishing the book and have no money for publicity or marketing, no matter who they're hiring or what they're doing, because then their book just sits out there. They shouldn't have all their friends and relatives read the book as their base. They need to have other business people read it because there's no relative that's going to tell you the book sucks. And you, you need a professional editor. You need some other kinds of focus group members to get a real feel for how your book will be received by the public. Most authors are doing a really good job now. They're using quite a few different self-publishing platforms. They're making sure the books are edited. They're hiring good um, production managers and, and layout designers. And there are companies that offer packages. And there are still plenty of publishers that, that buy books and you know, buy manuscripts and publish books. So there's lots of options. They need to do enough research. That makes sense. And Lori, going back to um, you know, the heart of our discussion with um, the challenge of making this transition from employment to entrepreneurship, for someone like yourself whose business is going to be focused on where they've built most of their expertise as professionals, what advice do you have for someone who might become suddenly employed today and wants to start a business? Start a business doing something you know. Don't be a lawyer who lost a job and decide, hey, I've always wanted to open a bar. Then you'll end up on bar rescue and get screamed at. You need to have some type of either a passion or experience in your, I think, in your first foray into entrepreneurship. Mine was a very unintentional journey. Would I have done this otherwise? I don't know. Am I thrilled to have my own business? I'm happier than I've ever, ever been. But I think that I see people try things because it sounds good instead of doing it from a place of knowledge. And I think if there's a way to do it from a place of knowledge or a place of passion, there'll be more success. Sounds great. Um, Good advice. Laurie, if someone wants to go deeper with anything that you have shared today or 
learn more about you and your business, where would they go? You can start at our website, which is theprfreelancer.com, which is T-H-E-P-R as in public relations, freelancer, F-R-E-E-L-A-N-C-E-R.com. See what we do. I'm always happy to talk to people if you're thinking about writing a book, if you've written a book and you don't know what your next steps are. I talk to lots and lots of people who don't end up hiring us, but I like giving advice. I've been in the publishing industry for a very, very long time. Not too long to be too old to be doing this, but long enough. But I I started, I worked at a book publisher. I worked at a book PR agency in the city. I have my own PR agency. I'm very well connected with editors and publishers and self-publishers. I learn more about my own business every day because it's always changing. So I'm happy to chat with people about almost anything. Sounds great. Well, Lori, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Going Solo. My guest today has been Lori Ames, the president and founder of The PR Freelancer. Thank you again, Lori, for joining us. Thank you so very much for the opportunity. I had a great time. When you visit the Going Solo website at smashingtheplateau.com slash solo. You'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today we learned how to get your business to work for you and much more. If you are trying to build your own business after a late career job loss and you want to make more money faster with fewer mistakes along the way, sign up for a complimentary Going Solo action planning session now. Go to goingsoloplan.com. That's goingsoloplan.com. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.